0: From MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to the Tennis Revolution Podcast. Welcome to the revolution, and you guessed it, you recognize the sultry sounds of the one and only coach. I'm back in the house. I made it back from New York alive.
1: Uh, do we have any listeners left that missed you last week?
0: No, I think I—I I think basically what I did was, is I walked around the US Open for five straight days with a uh, podcast t-shirt on, and... Uh, <laughs> translated to zero extra yes right well why would they listen they can see the actual us open why would they care we need a booth next year at the open where we can broadcast live there we go there we go hey you know what let me tell you something i'm working i'm gonna work on a media credential situation i think after talking to some people down there i think it's actually possible yeah and then you know what i think i get front row seats nice in the pit right on all crash (laughs) The Coach's Box. Which is the only place that's worth a damn in that stupid stadium.
1: I wondered about that. That's what, what a, I assumed.
0: What a horrible, horrible place to watch. <laughs> really anything.
1: Well, so I've figured out the system now. I've learned that you buy the worst ticket in Ash, and then you can go anywhere on the complex. Of course, that didn't help you in the finals or the semis, you don't want to watch anything else. But, but apparently, you can buy the worst possible ticket in Ash Stadium and then sit anywhere in any other stadium. So that's nice.
0: Well, why would you do that? Why even bother going into Ash?
1: Well, no, you wouldn't. you just buy a ticket for that, and then you go watch other courts. you
0: can just buy a grounds pass.
1: Yeah, but I think the t- t- tickets for Ash are cheaper. Really? Yeah, like this, the, the worst tickets are cheaper. Weird. Which is why Ash is never full, because all those people are roving around watching other matches.
0: Right, because uh, why do you want to watch ants <laughs> play when you can watch actual tennis players? It's incredible. Well, I am fresh back from the U.S. Open, and apparently... That's too much for Rebecca to deal with. <laughs> she uh, she had it nice with me gone, and uh, I can't deal with him talking about it in person. Exactly. So she is out today, which is unfortunate. She's probably uh, weeping and drinking tequila or whatever they drink in Spain. I don't know um, to celebrate her uh, her man's victory.
1: That's right. That and she didn't want to face me for my Kevin Anderson almost perfect
0: pick. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because her her pick was Roger, right? Yes, she did pick Madison Keys. actually. Did she want, she wanted Rafa to win, but she picked
1: Yeah, she picked Roger. I think we all thought Nadal was going to lose earlier.
0: I definitely did. Why didn't he?
1: Yeah, and he looked a little shaky the first week, so.
0: Well, you actually had a tidbit for me walking in today, which uh, I know you just, it pains you to tell me, (laughs) but uh, I think it's going to prove my point. So why didn't Rafa lose earlier? And why did Kevin Anderson make it to the finals? Well, yeah, both. According to a website that I
1: found today, it had this run to the U.S. Open title for Nadal as the easiest path in the last 30 years of Grand Slams.
0: Take that in, people. (laughs) Let
1: it soak in. Enjoy it. Which, when you think about who he played to get to the semifinals, you can kind of understand. It was a pretty weak uh, lead-up. He played a lucky
0: loser in the third round and lost a set in that match. And if they're winning... To, to get into right. his path, <laughs> that means they had players that were weak,
1: yeah. as weak or weaker. I so, will say Anderson and Del Potro are probably both a little better than their ranking, but they're still not top 10 players. Well, and
0: Del Potro, to be fair, is better than his performance in the semis. Right. Um, and I think Anderson is better than his performance in the finals. Mm, yeah, maybe a little. Maybe not against Nadal. Right. Today. I don't know. It was... It, both finals were painful. <laughs> well, first, Yeah, so first of all, let's talk about the story, I think, of the entire tournament, and that's that I was there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was tuning in for. I kept saying, when are they going to show security throwing someone out of the tournament? That would and, be me. And I never got to see it.
0: No, I think the absolute story of the tournament would have been Kevin Anderson winning yes. and you picking him. Oh, that
1: would have been the story of my life. And
0: the only human outside of South African descent
1: <laughs> uh, that picked him. That would have been every podcast for the next 10 years would have been me talking about Under,
0: how I picked Kevin Anderson. So In other words, you would have sounded like me every podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, but the absolute story of the tournament, I think, at least in the, the pro level, um, was that we had four American women, none of which were Serena. Right. Not not anything against her, but yeah. you expect her to be in a semi, um, and she is American, obviously. So not having her in... And then ha- still having four women. Now one of them was Williams, obviously, right. with uh, Venus. But that was the talk of the town, man.
1: Well, that was amazing. Um, and I try not to get you know too hyped up for one event because uh, I want to hope they back it up in the next Grand Slam or for the next year or two. But to have four, I mean, they were saying it was 1985 or something. The last time that's happened, I would assume that's the last time that's happened for any country to have the same to have all four players in a semifinal. I can't think of any other country that ever would have maybe Russia when they were doing really well in women's tennis in the nineties, but
0: right. But I doubt it either Russia or all of their subsidiaries or right. the countries that, uh, <laughs> bolted from, well, but did that take a little
1: bit of the luster out for you? Cause it's like an American's going to win. It made me not know who to root for.
0: Well, okay. A little bit, definitely, definitely a little bit, but it made me relax and made me joyous because it's like, all right, we're playing with yeah, house money right. now.
1: We've already got you it. You know,
0: bet the farm cause it's all gravy. Uh, so it, I relaxed a bit, and I was like, sweet, we got this one. Yeah. All right, we locked it in. <laughs> um,
1: we can't blow this. A friend, of mine,
0: a friend of mine mentioned something that I had not thought about at all, and then he mentioned it, and I thought, huh, that is interesting. But I seem to remember in my younger days, watching Boom Boom Becker and Edberg and Sampras and the boys, that now my favorite player – Obviously, was then and is Sampras. Right now, I also was a huge fan of Edberg, certain mm-hmm. volley style, and you know he's almost as good looking as I am. So <laughs> we had that in common. Right. Um, he was so he was at the OB. I didn't, was, see, I didn't see him live. I saw him on TV. Dick
1: Inberg was right behind
0: him. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember caring that much about nationality of players.
1: No, I, mean, I never did either because
0: I was a huge fan of Becker. Right, Um, liked his game style, attacking, big serve, a lot of net play, diving all over the court. You know that kind of stuff. Obviously, Sampras. um, I was an Agassi fan, but I mean, when they played each other, I was Sampras all day, every day. Um, Always a big fan of Todd Martin, underrated, most underrated American player of all time. By the way, call me Todd. (laughs) Appreciate it. Didn't see him. Then I did see another player that I enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, this week. Not only did I see him, I met him. He spoke to our group. Uh oh. One as a as a tennis video game on a Nintendo, the old school regular <laughs> Nintendo used to pronounce his name Ivan Lendl, <laughs> but Yvonne Lendl. He is uh, nice. involved with the USTA coaching with their the boys, the juniors, and uh, and that's one of the things that our our coaching group, that program uh, was at the U.S. Open for. Uh, one of the things we were focusing on were the juniors, uh, U.S. juniors, boys and girls, but. Um, they had a couple of different people come in and speak to us one of them was Yvonne Lendl, which was um pretty entertaining yeah. i must say <laughs> and he, he wasn't
1: doing anything cuz murray
0: didn't play he smiles more uh than you would think. <laughs> um yeah but he, no, but he's coaching the boys okay junior, so yeah. he's got you know so a, he's still busy yeah so he's got a group of youngsters um that are probably scared shitless as they should be which <laughs> which if they are that's good because that'll bode well for them in right. the, in their future um also Met Madison Keys, one of the, her coach slash hitting partner. Oh yeah. So if you were watching any of her matches, not Lindsay Davenport, obviously. The yeah the co the camera would pan up to the crowd and they would show Lindsey Davenport and on her left, so screen right, looking at the screen to the right was this young uh, international looking fella and uh, in a hoodie. <laughs> um a Nike softball hoodie sometimes. Nice. Um, and that was the guy. And so huh. he came in and talked a little bit about what they're working on and blah, 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 whatever. And so that was kinda interesting. So it was a it was a really cool um coaching program, the high USTA high performance uh, performance coaching program. So it was cool to, to be a part of that and meet some of those coaches and hear some things, hear some insights and, and then all the other coaches that were there. It was it was interesting. Um, did you
1: tell them the real insights happen on the podcast every week?
0: Well, I wore the <laughs> brand new, which I have one for you. Oh, um, great. not with me though. I forgot it, but, uh, I have the brand new, uh, tennis revolution podcast t-shirt. But we didn't sell those yet. No, I only bought enough for the, group. Oh, okay. I <laughs> bought enough for me to wear every day cause I didn't, I wore a clean one all three days. <laughs> I was at the open. I was in New York for five days, but I was at the open for three days. Um, and so I, I had three for me to wear around, um, and then I gave a couple to some homeless guys. No, I didn't <laughs> he's a homeless dude thinks he's a big tennis fan. Um, yeah, so I uh, got to meet Yvonne Leno. But that was another guy back in the day yeah. who clearly was not American. He was Czech Republic, or actually back then it was Czechoslovakia. Uh, he came out of there, uh, obviously now living in Connecticut or somewhere in America. Well, and um, tell me
1: this. It seems like now ESPN will always show the
0: Americans playing. And I don't know if it was always like that. I don't remember it being like that in the 90s. I don't either. And part of the reason I didn't realize it is because I don't remember just sort of being just American or, or that being a priority, I no, guess. No, I didn't notice that either um, then.
1: And now it's like if there's an American play-in, that's what they're going to show. Even if they're ranked number 150 in the world, they're right. going to show them over another match that might be higher-ranked players.
0: Now, why, So I am now, though, more um, not fixated. It's too strong of a word. But uh, whatever's less than fixated, you're the English major. Appreciative. <laughs> eh, maybe. Uh, focused on yes, um, the nationality of players and, and looking for more Americans to root for. Why is that? I mean, obviously, our podcast is dedicated to that. And that's not just because I flipped a coin on what we were going to call <laughs> this thing and what we were going to do with it. But it, it is a passion. Maybe it's because I'm in the business. When I was in high school, I wasn't in the business yet. I was just right. a tennis player. Um But now that I'm in the business, both as a coach and now obviously a podcaster, um, maybe that's part of it, that I have a stake in our country growing and, you know, improving in tennis at every level, grassroots all the way to the top. So, you know. Well, it makes
1: me wonder if ESPN, is the way that they're covering tournaments making us more that way? Or was it the demand for the American players making ESPN cover tournaments that way? Because I remember for 20 Grand Slams in a row, it was always the Williams erotic. And that was... About the only matches you would see on TV. And then once they lost, it was like, okay, now we'll show some of the other people that are left.
0: Right. Well, I think, first of all. uh... And
1: they're obviously catering to an American audience because they're an American. Well, station. But,
0: but are they correct? They, right. They think that's what we want, but are they sure? And maybe, listen, maybe for the U.S. Open, enough casual fans who just want to see an American player, oh, look, an American. Right. Let's you know, for them. America. Um, Maybe I don't know, but I but now I would say it's. I mean, the best player in the history of the game on the women's side, <laughs> started, uh, is Serena. Right. So obviously they're going to show her every time yeah. she's on. And now you got Federer and Nadal who are falsely claiming that title.
1: <laughs> and they are they do show every minute of their matches now, right?
0: And so I think that's just ratings, and they're not American, obviously. Right. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I think you're. Um, I think you're wrong. <laughs> as usual but no no definitely with Serena and then back then Roddick probably because right. Federer was just you know because as Roddick kind of was in that transition period after Agassi and Sampras then we had you know some of the you know Federer wasn't Federer yet well he was Federer but you know what I mean yeah um so I don't know but yeah it just a buddy of mine mentioned that to me he, was, he he just remembered thinking that we didn't used to care that much because we there were a lot of I, I know what it was the greatness was at such a depth right. that you could watch so many players and see you know some great, great tennis, and anybody was a threat to win uh, a Grand Slam, anyone was a threat to finish at the top of the rankings.
1: Well, and in this tournament was definitely thin, so you didn't have that many options of people to watch. High-level, You know, obviously not high-level Americans on the men's side, but you had Federer at all and Sharapova, and the star power outside of that was pretty limited early in the tournament. And then as it picked up, obviously people gained steam and... More people wanted to watch Keys and Stevens and Vandeweghe and those girls, but in the beginning, I don't know the popularity's there for them.
0: Not yet. Um, I think, I think it does. I think the answer is, uh, y- even though you've just basically ignored the question and forgot <laughs> what I was saying, but I do think the answer is maybe. I, I feel like the success of professional American tennis is tied to the success of the health of our game in right. the, in this country in general. Because you see four Americans in the final four uh, on the women's side, and you're like, okay, well, women's tennis is healthy, right? What about the men? Query, you know, yeah. uh-huh. one amazing match and then a dud after that, and then you know, yeah, Isner
1: completely gave away his match. Yep, had a chance to get into the quarters pretty easily, and and lost very meekly, and then I mean, sock lost early. We said that last week, so there, was, right. there wasn't yeah. anybody that was even competing.
0: <laughs> well, we had a, yeah, we had a tournament a week ago. I mean, a, a podcast a week ago, no one was going to happen with some of these players. <laughs> so well, So, the weakest, you know, um, as on the men's side, the, the easiest path yeah, in so he 30 played, years or something. Yeah, he played
1: no top 20 players in the entire tournament, which is which is pretty hard to do.
0: And he was on the quote-unquote strong side. Right. So the bottom side was a shit show. Right. That thing fell apart. <laughs> Quickly. In a hurry. Even the ones that were in it that were good in the beginning didn't make it deep. Oh, man. Kyrgios... Monfils, uh, Chilich. Zverev, Chilich, Zverev, either Zverev, but the yeah. younger one in particular. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good.
1: No, it wasn't. And, and and some of the matches weren't even competitive. It was, you know, if you had really competitive close matches that were hard fought and you go this guy really battled and got there, which Del Potro did against team, he earned that match and, and that, but that well, that was in the other half. But still, we didn't have feel like you had guys really earning it even when they got there. It was like, oh,
0: that match was the best match of the tournament on the men's right. Team. Uh and it was it, part of the reason why it was the best match is because the Argentine was physically struggling. Oh yeah. And the crowd brought him back, and the only reason the crowd brought him back is because he was in the best stadium on that facility. <laughs> is that was that Armstrong? No, it was Grandstand. Grandstand. So that is a ovalish shape. It's okay. kind of roundy ovalish thing. It's got kind of like a like almost like a sail going yeah. around. It's a weird deal, but...
1: Um, and what is it, a couple thousand?
0: I don't know, but it's not... It's one bowl yeah. level, like one level up. And um, even standing... And It's got a walkway going all the way around, so you can stand up against a railing behind the top row and look, and you can actually see the players. They're right. not ants. They look like human <laughs> beings.
1: When, how many people do you think left that court after two sets? Gave up their seats to go watch something else. Probably none. Yeah. Well, it, it well, was because pretty, it's so nice. It was
0: pretty packed, and it was you know two players that I think probably draw pretty well. Right. Delpo was his, his courts were packed. You could see it was amazing who was packed and who wasn't, and right. you could see um, the popular players because they just gravitated to. And, and hey, he's huge. And, well, you know, some would say good looking.
1: What I didn't understand the day before that uh, you know that scheduled play came out. I saw that Del Potro and team were playing. I said, oh, well, that's going to be the night match on Ash for sure. And then I saw it was Federer and whoever. You know, played a nobody and won. I think it was Federer and uh, now I can't remember. Who, oh, Kohl Schreiber. I think he just rolled over right, Schreiber right. And I'm like, why does anybody want to see that? Because it's Federer. And then I don't know if the outcome would have been differently if it was on Ash. Because like you said, that crowd definitely got him motivated to come back and win.
0: Well, let me tell you. The difference between Grandstand and author Ash is about, oh, 119 billion times. <laughs> Ash is a debacle of yeah. a stadium. It is a debacle. Let's
1: see how many seats we can fit in a stadium. Well, first
0: of all, here's the sound. Everybody hold on. Turn your radio down a little bit. Here's the sound you <laughs> hear nonstop during a match.
1: And you can even hear that on TV. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So in and person, it, it's got to be worse.
0: And so basically what it is is, is the roof. Basically catches everything and bounces it right back at you from every direction, and so yeah. So even if they're not talking right, right. before the point, you can hear it, you know, echoing for five and, seconds. And you have twenty-two thousand or twenty-three thousand people, so it's pretty hard to get everybody to shut the hell up,
1: right? Well, you saw as it got to the end of the finals, they were having a hard time even playing points because people were yelling and talking now, and everything.
0: Now, to be fair, you know, I don't want to kind of be untrue to who I am. I don't mind a little bit of rowdiness in right. tennis. I'll be honest with you. I I think I think I, I you know, I have no problem with the stuffiness of Wimbledon and yeah. shutting your pie hole and everybody wearing white and, and all that. But I also like the rowdiness of New Yorkers who really don't know a lot about, hey, yo, rock, you know, or whatever. <laughs> right. That's Philly, I guess, but whatever. You know what I'm saying. Right, uh, as they're
1: about to toss the ball on the
0: serve or whatever, yeah. Whatever. I mean, maybe not that, but to some degree, but but hollering and, and carrying right. on and going, you know, cheering after well into they're about to start getting ready for the next serve. You know, it's it's New York. It's supposed to be rowdy. It's, you know, the city that never sleeps. Yeah. Uh, in the stadium that's never quiet. Um, <laughs> it, and I, you know, I don't have to some degree. I don't have a problem with it. I just think that roof just messed everything up. Yeah, it just messed everything up, and it's disappointing because they. I mean the 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 brainwashing that comes from USTA people is that that is the crown jewel of right. the tennis world. Oh yeah, what what is the cubic zirconia of <laughs> the tennis world? It looks pretty, right. but it's a piece of shit.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody's sitting in the upper deck and going to say they never, never going to forget that moment because it's just,
0: like you said, it's not a great experience when you're that far up. What they should do is take the entire upper bowl, tear out all the seats, <laughs> and just put giant TVs like, all the way around like the Like AT&T Stadium. Like, just, Cal- like where the Dallas Cowboys play. Now, I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> I'm not supporting Jerry Jones in any way. But uh, but yeah, something yeah. Just whatever, like man. Like a Make wrap a TV. Who cares? Who cares? It's it's a, it's awful. Yeah, and and the roof made it worse. Now I've got no problem with the roof. I like, I, you know, now now that this is going on, I'm worried about any other roof that's about in the French Open getting one soon. Yeah, I think they're they're all four gonna have one after yeah, this coming. year. So um, by far, I guess the U.S. Open one so far out of the, out of the other two um, is the worst. It just yeah. But that's because their stadium's so stupid. Grandstand. Grandstand is the highlight of that place. Yeah. And maybe new Louis Armstrong, which was under construction. Uh, maybe that's going to be intimate and whatever, right. but it looks like the. Well, the, it's going to have a roof too, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. But it looks like the steel girder things or whatever the hell you call those that come up are pretty high. Yeah. I'm like, oh, don't do <laughs> this to me. Well, and you and I,
1: between the two of us, I'm sure have seen 500 Federer matches, but wasn't that the loudest you've ever heard fans cheer for the opponent? When he played Del Potro?
0: Well, yeah, because there were... I mean, every time they showed the stands, you saw the... Right, Argen- they were all in the upper deck. Well, the Argentinian soccer gear, right. you know, gear, uh, <laughs> and then hollering in Spanish and waving flags. I just love they
1: showed some of them yelling. Like, it was It was like, well, Fed- uh, one of them was getting ready to serve, and they just panned up to the stand, and the guys are cheering and yelling, and it's like, how are these guys even serving with all that going on?
0: Well, because uh, every other sport can do it, so right. you get over yourself. And if it happens every point, I except, guess you do get used to it. Except golf, but... Right. Anyway, so... Grandstand was the highlight. I'll tell you. Uh, let me tell you another. So Del Potro, who else do you think would pack the house uh, on whatever court they were on?
1: Well, besides the main court, you mean? Besides whatever. Ash,
0: anybody? Just throw who? I'm well,
1: I mean, obviously Sharapova and saw her Venus
0: play, saw her play two points. <laughs> I did not. I did not profess my love to her.
1: <laughs> Venus was obviously big, but they were on Ash the whole time, right? So you're thinking somebody that wasn't on Ash?
0: Mm, I got three words for you. <laughs> Martina.
1: Really? Martina Hingis. Who ended up winning two events? It was
0: a packed she was on a smaller court that basically had stands on both baselines, like concrete yeah. with, you know, seat seating going up, and then had like maybe six rows, four rows, two rows, I can't remember, but just like four rows on either side on the yeah. sideline. So it wasn't huge, but it was like standing. Hmm. Rose deep yeah. behind the the sideline stands. It was packed, and let me tell you something: that girl can ball. All
1: right. Well, and I was going to say, you know how many minutes of her they showed on ESPN? I don't. I didn't see a single minute. It, if they showed a highlight today of her doubles. Let me tell it. you something.
0: So she was on the court. She. I watched her play. Um, Rebecca's favorite, Miladinovic. Yeah, who's a pretty good player from right. last time I checked. Pretty good tennis player. I don't Top where she, twenty, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where she is at this moment, but you know, still, obviously, somebody who's uh, contending on a regular basis. Um, and who else was Mladenovic playing with, uh, some kind of Ova and I can't remember. <laughs> well, and Safirova
1: maybe. Well, and also Hingis played with some player that wasn't even that heralded. Like I haven't really heard of her partner. Right. But she still won.
0: Yeah. She was, uh, uh, Chan Yunzhan or something yeah. like that. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. Whatever order they say it in. Definitely not. Our um, Chinese
1: fans can write in and tell
0: us. Call in. Um... So they were playing a doubles, uh, a women's doubles match, and she was by far the best doubles player on that court. Yeah. I mean, you know, the power wasn't quite there, but it didn't matter. I mean, her serve was giving them trouble. Her return was staying, you know, she right. was staying at least neutral on every point on the return. And anytime her partner hit a good ball, she was all over the next one. She was putting balls away. The only way they could put balls away or blasting him at her at Hingis's a partner, right. um, you know, or whatever. But yeah, it was it was a distinct difference in doubles ability. Hmm. Yeah, well, it was and besides impressive. the
1: fact that she's obviously just got amazing touch and talent, it's gotta be a benefit to her that she can just practice doubles only while all these other ladies are playing singles and doubles. Yeah. She can sure. just do doubles only sure. you know all year long.
0: But she always played doubles.
1: Yeah. You know, right, so no. I mean so in that regard it's it's which is why she already knows how to do it. She doesn't have to transition.
0: Right. And so, uh, but she, I mean, she was right in that era where you didn't need to play doubles. I mean, yeah. the money was big enough. Oh, um, yeah. and so, but yeah, she is just, I was so highly impressed.
1: Um, and that was her 25th grand slam win in this wow. tournament, 24 and 25. Wow. Of course, Martina probably has Martina, no, probably has 50 or 60, but, but still, Ningus has a long way to go.
0: Yeah. And I mean, listen, um, that was in a different era for sure. Yeah. You're talking about not having to play, right. you know, uh, singles versus a time when you had to, because of women's money back then, well, you know, money in general, but women in, also was, was nothing. But, um, that was one of the high, that was actually, and not cause I'm old and she's old. <laughs> she's almost my, she's 36, I think is what I saw somewhere. Yeah. I think um, that sounds right. 36. So that, but that's not why, um, uh, it was definitely it was definitely just an absolute treat just watching her play. Um and I think the most striking part was the difference in her level compared to everybody else on the court. It w- it was highly impressive. Well, and she's kind of like well, if you
1: people used to joke about McEnroe, like I've better those twenty five slams, she's played with twenty different partners, which tells you how amazing she is. Right. That she can win but, with all these different people.
0: Yeah. So she uh so the match I watched she played uh Pavlyuchenkova. Who's also um, a top 20 or 30 right. player. Or was. I don't know. Again, I don't know exactly what they are right now, but um, still, yeah. And so it was it, – that was I, – I think outside of meeting Lendl, that was probably the highlight for me is just seeing her because you're right on top of them. Yeah. I mean, that that little court, um, you're right there. and I would think if you're
1: into watching doubles, the U.S. Open has got to be like the place to go because it's always on the side court so you can watch – all the best Devils players, really close.
0: Yeah, it was... Uh, even, the,
1: even the Bryans usually play on probably Grandstand or Armstrong, so you can they watch were
0: them def- too. That was another time that the Grandstand was standing room only. You couldn't even hardly walk up the stairs. It yeah. was absolutely <laughs> packed for the Bryan brothers. Uh, and they had to come back and win in the third, I believe, um, in that match. Yeah, uh, I know, which I think was 7-5 in the third, the, the one you're talking about. Something like that. Something like that, so what a uh, he's tearing up he was what a deal. was that emotional yeah what a deal what a deal <laughs> the U- our country slam uh aside from that horrific stadium and, uh, everything was all <laughs> i thought I mean, you're gonna say final <laughs> well that too listen I, I mean what what could you think of two disappointing endings to the damn tournament after never in both to be that disappointing one or the other i can you can normally have
1: but to have both finals be that disappointing
0: well, here's what you had. You had a ton of great women's matches. Right. I think the women's uh, tournament carried the tournament. Oh, definitely. So they should have made more prize money this year than the men. <laughs> right. I'm serious.
1: Until the final.
0: <laughs> well, both of them sucked. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but yeah, you did, the women's was definitely worse. So then you get to the final, and it was just highly disappointing. And even Keys, I mean, she was like tearing up, right. hugging her for like 19 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and it, clearly it was just all the emotion of like, wow, all the pressure and all the, you know, of getting here and being in, a, in my first grand slam final and that playing like absolute shit, <laughs> ruining well, everything. And
1: I sort of joked with somebody this morning, you know, with their friends, obviously. So is that one of those deals that you're walking down the hall and you see Sloan and she's like, you know, she just has a different walk now that she's beating you, it's like, you can't even make a joke anymore. It's like, hey, remember when I beat you in that open final? It's like a, I feel like is going to see that every time she sees Sloan Stevens' face. That's kind of terrible, losing to your friend. I'd rather lose a, a, to a stranger or to an enemy.
0: To an enemy, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But uh, yeah, and then the men's final. I mean, what are you going to do? Whoever won, it was, it was like the Super Bowls back in the 80s and 90s. Whoever won the <laughs> right. NFC, the NFC championship was the championship. And so on the men's side, whoever got through on that side, it was a done deal. And,
1: well, and what I thought was going to happen after week one was that Federer was going to be in the final against a random player and kill him. And then he lost to Del Potro, and then it's, so then I actually thought it might be more interesting, and then it all just rolled over the last two rounds. And he
0: was sick. Yeah. So he basically was saying he was about to retire against team. Right. And then the crowd just pulled him out of it, and obviously it made all the difference, but What did he have left? And you could see he mustered everything. Well, that's
1: what's amazing. He beat Federer after that match. I had no no idea how that was going to happen.
0: Right. And then he, you know, and he was able to muster one set. Right. You know, so, I mean, his forehand is huge. Big serve, you know, and just a a wily veteran. But, uh, unfortunately, couldn't bring his A game, uh, which who knows what could happen. I mean, Nadal's playing great, obviously, but.
1: Well, I think it helped Nadal that he played Del Potro because Anderson plays very similar to Del Potro, so It was almost like he. Didn't have to change his preparation for two rounds,
0: right? The angle of the serve coming in similar because of their height and, and all the big, that.
1: And, yeah. But Anderson's forehand was way off; it was depressing.
0: Yeah, everything. Yeah, it wasn't
1: because there were a couple moments in there where it was like, okay, if he does well this game, then this match is going to be interesting, and then he just would blow it.
0: Well, I don't understand why he didn't make a, He didn't seem to make any adjustment.
1: No, not that I on ever the saw. Fact
0: that Nadal was literally out in the parking lot returning. <laughs> I said literally incorrectly, but I did it on purpose. Yeah, right. I literally did that on purpose. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he did try he, to serve volley. It just didn't. Well, he was terrible at volleying. No, that's true. That's another thing that you just see these players. I mean, I think Hingis could have done a better job against Nadal.
1: Well, here's what I was thinking about this. Seriously, would you have ever considered, as a player, doing a drop serve? I mean, he was that far behind the baseline. He could have fed a drop shot. And Maybe he got an ace. I mean, he was that <laughs> far back. I mean, he had to run 50, 60 feet.
0: He, if he could do like the Mansoor Barami yeah, trick right. where he throws it up and swings his a underneath, yeah. little, then maybe. But if he sees it coming, he's, he's obviously still going to be able to get him. to
1: it. Yeah, I mean, I, he was so far back. I felt like you had, like you said, you had to do something else. Well,
0: if he just, you know, maybe kicked the serve in, gave him a little more time to get all the way to the net. Right. And then. Now he's in a position. I mean, listen, they, they don't do this. So. Well, they didn't, he
1: didn't know that all was going to be that far back either. I guess. I mean,
0: he's looking at him. Well, no, but I mean, he before, the, but I mean before the, before love the match, of God.
1: you would think he would be able to plan that out before the match. But.
0: Well, but he, I mean, that's not a hard. You know, right. I don't know. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, if he could have kicked it in l- less pace on the serve, giving him time to get on top of the net, and then giving himself a chance, because return. I don't care who you are. Trying to hit a passing shot with your ass touching the wall, <laughs> right I mean, the lines people had against to get a out of the six way. foot eight person. The linesman had to get out of the way for his backswing, almost. I mean it was ridiculous, <laughs> and he did nothing. He tried to hit it harder. yeah, well, um, you know
1: when I knew that match was over, when, when I, I found out, out they the had played each other when they were twelve, because I knew it all was amazing since he was like twelve, and I said this is over because Anderson's probably never beaten him since they were twelve, so <laughs> like don't even bother. So I felt like that was just a match that he'd already lost going out. He tried to keep the positive emotion, which they talked about five thousand times. Like his fist pumping is so revolutionary. They were acting like, uh,
0: yeah, it was a bit much. And it was
1: every match they talked about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, the men's tournament was just an odd, <laughs> an odd, weird situation, and ended as it should have, with, right. with a dud. The women's match, it was really unfortunate how it ended because of everything that led up to it. Great matches throughout, and four Americans in the semis, and then just... Well, just, and if
1: you're Keys, can you feel good about that tournament? Yeah, you can. Even in, even being that bad in the final? Yeah, you can. I mean, it's still her first grand slam final. I just think it's, when you lose that badly in the final, you're going to remember that more than making the final.
0: Yeah, I think so, but
1: you know what? But then again, I'd rather lose like that than 7-6 in the third. Probably if it's as a player,
0: maybe. Nah, no. You want to you want to play your best and have a chance, so you can walk away feeling like I did everything I could. She she <laughs> that's what she definitely didn't have that. No, she did nothing. <laughs> the the <laughs> opposite of whatever I did everything I could. I did nothing I could. Um. So anyway, well, aside from uh, all these wonderful tennis people, um, or tennis players and coaches that uh, I was able to meet, I also met a couple other people. Yeah, I met a. Uh, a person who is in the business in a different arena and officiating as well as uh, uh, works uh, with uh, one of the sections, the USDA sections. Nice. And also a stand-up comedian huh. in, uh, based in New York. We're going to um, have
1: Jerry Seinfeld on the podcast? You know
0: it. All right. You know it. Um, no, but this guy knows Jerry Seinfeld
1: <laughs> as well as some other famous The people. man who knows Jerry Seinfeld is next. There we
0: go. No, no, no. Uh, but yeah, so I, I I got some audio. All right. And uh, hopefully the audio will be good Because uh, (laughs) that's what you're going to listen to Right That's what you're going to hear when we come back It's time to join the revolution Go to our website
2: Tennisrevolutionpodcast.com To get the latest episodes Email us your questions and comments Or give us show ideas
0: all right we're back we uh you know we only spent half the podcast or the first segment of the podcast talking about the u.s open is that a fair representation of what this U.S. Open was. Based on the finals, yeah. I think it was more than enough. All right. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, while I was in, in town, uh, while I was in New York, um, I, uh, I ran into a couple people. Here's what's amazing. If if you are a tennis person, now if you're a tennis player and you play in a certain area, um, it, it may not happen a, as much. But if you're in the tennis business, whether you're a coach at a, at a club or a college coach or uh, or, you know, volunteer with USTA or whatever the case may be, you get to the U S open and I ran into so many people, not so many, that's not a fair character, <laughs> but I ran, I ran, into a fair amount of people more yeah. than certainly I would have guessed, uh, in the middle of New York city, which I'm not from, right. never lived there. I uh, yeah, don't know hardly anyone. And
1: that's not near where we are.
0: Right. But then it dawned on me. Oh, wait a minute. This is the biggest event, in one of the four biggest events in the, well, maybe three. Do we, <laughs> do we get, is it one, two, three, and then Australia's four all by itself? Probably, but whatever. Yeah, Australia's still kind of on their own. Yeah, but, uh, but no, it's one of the four biggest events in our sport in the world. Right. And then certainly the biggest event in our country. And so the entire tennis world descends upon New York for two weeks. So I guess it's not as amazing. I ran into a lot of people, uh, but I ran into people from college, uh, ran into, huh. you know, um, former players that I coached, um, ran into some other coaches. Uh, well,
1: not even the fact that they're there, the fact that you actually see them, because I mean, there's 50,000 people there a
0: day, probably. That's a good point as well. <laughs> That's a good point as well, that it's it's... It is mayhem. Yeah. The city sucks. (laughs) It smells like homeless people and pee. Yes. All right. All right. Um, It's filthy and disgusting. I didn't get mugged or murdered um but you know it's just uh it, it's a tough tough city i, yeah. wa- I walked about 719 miles <laughs> and that was just to get to starbucks every morning yes Um they don't
1: have one every block like here
0: yeah they do but oh. you know i turn left and oh wait i'm going up i need to be going down because i use my app to order it, right and then I, I i know where that's at i don't follow the map like an <laughs> idiot uh, it, the number the streets are numbered it's fine it's easy <laughs> oh my god what a disaster um but no, two people uh, that uh, that I ran into, uh, one of which was staying in the same hotel, because I stayed in the tournament hotel in Manhattan. Nice. There's three tournament hotels, so um, none of the players, obviously. They're staying, <laughs> you know, whatever, 10 You stars. mean
1: just like all the officials and that kind just, of thing? I definitely, I, w- I
0: will say, that was one funny thing. I kept seeing a bunch of faces I recognized, and it took me a minute, and then, oh yeah, I've seen it on TV, in the chair. Nice. Was, I saw a whole bunch nice. of, uh, of the uh, chair umpires um, that you see on TV all the time. Uh, I didn't yell at any of them. (laughs) I didn't offer to purchase
1: them glasses or contacts. That was hard. What was harder, not yelling at them or not yelling to Maria?
0: No, I was so far up in in Ash that I did. I only saw her play. I went in so I could say I saw her play two points, and that was it. Uh, I saw Nadal play a point or two in Ash, and that's it. I just wanted to say, hey, I saw them live. Right. Couldn't tell who they were or what they were playing. They could have been skateboarding for all I know so far up there uh, when I peeked in. But uh, anyway, so... The first guy uh, that I ran into, and I did run into ladies too, but uh, none of them agreed to uh, <laughs> go back to my hotel room and record, right. um, hey, I want to show you my recorder. <laughs> Got a camera here. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Just a just recorder. Okay. So the first guy is uh, a guy named Darren Potkey, and he, uh, I, I, ran, I first met him, uh, he was officiating um, our national tournament. He was the head referee for our national tournament um, NCAA, uh, division three national tournament. And so, um, he agreed gracefully cause he's busy running around doing a lot of stuff. He's actually there on USTA business, uh, not just to have fun and watch. And, uh, and so I ran to him and he was nice enough to take, uh, take a little bit of time, sit down with me and get some audio. So, uh, take a listen. All right. We are here in New York city. So not just to hang out and have fun, although I am doing some of that, but we're also at the US Open and just the city is a buzz with the US Open. It's a buzz anyway, but it's a buzz. I'm walking around, you see USTA stuff everywhere, you see all kinds of tennis people. And so, as opposed to grab a homeless man off the street, I decided to grab somebody who's a tennis person off the street and uh and so we he agreed to sit down a little bit and uh And just chit-chat about the U.S. Open, just other things, and kind of maybe get his perspective. So we have the – I think we need to put the in front of his name, I think. Yeah, the Darren Potkey. So he is the executive director of USTA Georgia. Office there, and uh, he is also a uh, or the head referee for the uh, NCAA Division III national tournament every year. Uh, is that it? I know there's more. What else? What else are you doing?
3: Um, pretty involved with the ITA and their officials' leadership and all the education and teaching. Uh, still do the Orange Bowl as the deputy referee. Still supervisor of a couple other ITF events. And my most important job, of course, is father to my three children. I have two three-year-old twins and a one-year-old. That uh, There's definitely some refereeing when it comes to that as well. Scoring points at
0: home, and he's not even there. That's a veteran move. So now you also played college tennis, is that right? Where
3: did you play? I did. I played at UC Santa Barbara. Our mascot is the Gaucho. It's a Mexican cowboy, for those of you in Rio Linda. Um, Okay. Uh,
0: inside joke, that must be California on California crime. Now, are you a
3: Cali boy? Pretty much. I mean, I grew up in New England, a big Patriots fan, the motto this season, of course.
0: Is- All right, this is over. This interview's over. Uh, no New England fans. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Of course. Uh,
3: so you grew up in New England. When did you move to Cali? I moved when, we were, when I was 12. Uh, wasn't my decision, of course, but I spent almost 30 years out there. So yes, I guess by time, you'd say that I'm mostly Californian. Now, would
0: you? Did you start playing tennis in Cali, or had you played in New England? Is there even tennis
3: in New England? Uh, there is. Uh, anyone's listening, make sure we we put that out that there is tennis. Uh, but no, I actually didn't play tennis. I was more of a soccer player uh, in New England. Boo. Yeah, but uh, when. Uh, when I moved to California, yeah, started. the weather was a little better, a lot more courts, a little more sunshine, not the indoor bright lights, and so I started playing tennis a little bit. I was lucky the where we moved had a really good uh, local community organization that kind of got me started, and for better or for worse, I'm here with you today. For you, probably worse. For me, better.
0: Uh, so you started playing basically in a public setting. Is that fair to say?
3: Yeah, I started when I was 12, so obviously probably on the later side from what most the kids that are playing the juniors here and a lot of our better uh, college and junior players, but, uh, had to do some catch up real quick, worked pretty hard. And yeah, I mean, I, I, got everything that I wanted out of being a player. It was great. It was great playing at a great school and our team ended up, uh, doing pretty well. And we got to the last 16 of the team one year, which, um, is we're the only team I think in our school's history to do that. Um, and so that was really exciting. And uh, some of our guys played you know, lower level professional tennis. One of them ended up playing Davis Cup for his country. Um, just some great guys to be around. So college tennis was a great experience for me, as it is for most. So uh, you played as a youth all the way
0: up through college. And now you are working in a bunch of different capacities in tennis. Well, with everything you do in all your official capacities, is it hard to still be a fan sort of now that you see how the sausage is made so to speak or are you still a big fan?
3: Yeah, I mean, given all the what I've done over the years and and actually was part of putting on a professional ATP event for a while when we were in LA, so I know some of the back scenes of professional tennis uh, but no, I think it's I mean, it, it's great to be a fan. I mean, you know, if you ask my wife, I mean, we we watch a lot of matches. We're trying to get our kids to watch. Uh, hopefully they'll become officials I've, In fact, one of my three-year-olds, uh, made a correct, uh, overrule Hawkeye decision on TV the other day. She was excited about that. Not sure she knew what she was doing. Um, but no, it, it's, we're, you know, you have to be a fan. I mean, especially at an event like this or, or professional tennis, so exciting, so many great athletes and so great to see some of the Americans finally, hopefully starting to break through. It's been a while and you gotta be patient with them and hopefully this is start of their time to do that.
0: So just so you know, um, out there in Fanland, land, um, he does literally everything. And really, he's going to shake his head no, but he knows everything. Like He just comes up with tidbits when I'm standing around him out of nowhere. Out of, and I'm like, what? I mean, I barely know how to tie my shoe compared to everything that he comes up with. So he is still a fan. And in in particular, when you come here to New York, in the buzz, not just in the city, but obviously at the tennis center, you know the the, the attendance is out of control. It's out of control uh, with the city, of course, because this place is you know a hellhole. But uh, but also, but no, the U.S. Open is just over one run with people. And uh, and I think this city uh, in the in the tournament meld so well together. You can't help but go over there, watch all the action, be around it all, and not just be drawn into it.
3: Yeah, we're lucky in the U.S. We have some great professional tournaments. Uh, you know, certainly Indian Wells. If you've been there, it's a fantastic event. Certainly, certainly has its own vibe. Uh, but I'm not sure the U.S. Open would be the U.S. Open anywhere but new york city it's just something about the city the energy uh usta has put a lot of resources into upgrading uh the Billie jean king national tennis center um obviously we'll have a new armstrong stadium next year with a roof and i mean i've seen the architect uh, models it's going to be fantastic uh the new grandstand's great obviously arthur ash stadium speaks for itself now with the roof i mean what an un what what an amazing wonder just to look at um, so, you know, it's, it's a fantastic event. We have a lot of great events. Cincinnati's another great event. Uh, even like the Houston Clay Court event is its own. Everyone has its own unique little vibe. The, the Volvo Car Open in Charleston is a, is a great event. But, you know, the U.S. Open is the U.S. Open. And it, 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 it's the perfect place to have it, New York City.
0: Yeah, every – at the beginning, about a week or so leading up to every slam, we do a little preview show. And I get hyped up for different reasons. And all of a sudden, that one's my favorite for some reason, because you get hyped up about what's coming, uh, you know, whether it's the sunshine and kind of coming out of the doldrums of no tennis for Australia or, you know, the, the sophistication and culture of the French Open uh, or the stodgy but yet traditions of our game at Wimbledon. But then when you get to New York, you get to the U.S. Open and, you know, I'm American, damn it. And that tournament, if there's anything that's American in this game, in this international sport, it's the U.S. Open. And I think it's the best slam. Now, cover up the USTA logo on your shirt and tell me, is the U.S. Open your favorite slam by how far, really?
3: Well, it's the only one I've been to. so, And it's the only one I've worked uh, on as far as official. But uh, So it has to be my favorite. I haven't been to the other three, although... Um, Certainly would love to get to Australia at some point. That's kind of one of our goals. Um, You know, the French certainly is its own unique event. But, you know, every slam is very special for a certain reason. And, you know, part of the specialness of New York is the chaos and the craziness and how the city and the fans, basically the energy lifts that stadium almost off the ground. I mean, there is nothing like being in Arthur Ashe Stadium at night when the crowd uh, erupts. I mean, it's, my wife's done quite a few matches as a line umpire on stadium. She's worked three U S open finals, and she will tell you that there is nothing like that sound out there. Um, it's, it's just a unique event. You know, like I said, we're blessed with a lot of events here and, you know, from a hometown perspective, being in Atlanta, you know, the BB and T Atlanta opens, we've had a great relationship with, with USTA Georgia, helping those guys. That's a great event as well. And it's a very unique environment as well, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no question the the best Grand Slam is the U.S. Open, and and you know we're obviously going to say that because we're American, but but it's just a fantastic event.
0: Well, I think part of it is we're you know our stereo. Some of the stereotypes is we're brash, we're bold, we're maybe a little overconfident. So is this tournament. Uh, So is this city. But uh, but I think it's got a lot to back it up. Are there any other tournaments in the U.S. approaching the sort of wild scene? down there, um, at the U S open.
3: No, not even close. Maybe Miami. Um, especially when, uh, the South, a South American player is doing well, that tends to bring out, uh, an interesting crowd <laughs> in Miami at night. Uh, I would say out of the top of my head, that's probably the only thing that would even come close. And it honestly, it's not that close, but, um, it, as far as any, um, uh, U.S. event, uh, maybe Miami, with that South American flair, um, would be close. Pretty much. Is there any sense that
0: you think that's a good thing, or do you think we should get more wild at more of our tournaments in the U.S.?
3: Well, I think the tours would love to see, you know. A lot of fans and the tournaments would love it as well. I mean, you know, professional tennis on the economic side is sometimes a hard business to be in, particularly at the lower levels of the tours, like the 250 levels and even the 500 level, Washington being a 500. I mean, they're, you know, it's a lot of this is summer events. It's hot. It's hard to get people there. So uh, yeah, I think as long as it's done somewhat respectfully, I, I don't see that being a negative at all. I think it'd be something that the tournaments would be thrilled about to get their stands filled.
0: Yeah, that's that's something that as a, as a tennis fan and a coach in college that I go back and forth with because college is, can be a wild scene, but there is a line, you know, and I think as a traditional tennis person and still having this being a lady and gentleman's game that you, you push that line and you worry about losing some of that. Um, is that college flavor something you think maybe if we could get that, that, you know, crossover at the pro events, is that sort of what you're thinking about?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, the ITA, the intercollegiate tennis association, which I do some, uh, a lot of volunteer work for on the officiating side. I mean, that's one of the things that on the, on the official side training that we're trying to get across to our officials is that, you know, uh, when there's a lot of spectators, it, it's not necessarily a negative. Yes, you have to control more and have, be more cognizant, but it can really be a positive with the, with the environment. And, you know, now the ITA is very much stressing that, that noise from one court can often occur while another point is being played in another court, and that is part of the dual match environment. It's actually in the rule book this year to try to, to, try to clarify it for folks. So, um, you know, again, it, it, anytime you have a, a full stadium, uh, and the fans are engaged, and uh, whether it's because one player or a great match or what have you, I, I don't see how that can be a negative for our sport. Yes, we'll have a few folks uh, push back a little bit because of the traditional traditionalists. That's probably not even a word. Hopefully Scrabble, it's a decent score there of it. But, you know, I, it's probably worth the risk, shall we say, to move the sport forward because that's, that's the way a lot of sports are now. Well, the, the line for me is this. I don't care how worked
0: up you get. I don't ha- care how wild you get if it's all directed at yourself and or your team as in the college setting or if you're in a, in a professional match towards your box or towards the fans in a, in a positive way yelling and, and carrying on. But, but the question that needs to be asked and answered affirmatively is if your opponent asks you if you saw a ball that you hit out you say, yes, it was out if you clearly saw it out. I think you can be a maniac on the court, but then be a lady or a gentleman and play by fair rules. And I think that's really the line. If you're pointing at somebody's face that's on the other side of the net, or trying to cheat or get over on somebody within the rules, then that's, I think, where the draw. But all the wildness and hollering and maybe even some cartwheels, whatever, I don't know what we do out there. I think all those things are good things. Is that something from an official standpoint or a referee standpoint that would kind of make the difference for you?
3: Yeah, I would love to see cartwheels on clay. That's, <laughs> that would be a, hopefully, that person doesn't fall. We have a mess on our hands. But, Yes. I mean, and, and I think from the professional side, that's been one of the great things about electronic review or, you know, Hawkeye uh, is the fan involvement, getting the fans fired up about it, but also the closure it brings. Um, obviously, the professional tennis, the players aren't making their own calls. So it's a little different than in college tennis. But with electronic review, it's it's really provided closure. You know, uh, uh, the decisions made, it's done. It's whether it's right or not is kind of irrelevant uh, because the Hawkeye system can at times be Somewhat inaccurate, depending on the calibration, uh, but the players accept it, the fans accept it, the officials accept it, and let's move on. And so, you know, if, if there's anything that's that's positive because of that, and the other thing, obviously, it's really shown that, especially on the line umpire side, at the highest professional events, these guys are pretty good. I mean, they're 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 making correct decisions on millimeters on balls, and um, yes, they do make mistakes. Everybody's gonna make mistakes. My wife told me I've already made three today. But uh I mean that's another, you know, side benefit that us officials have seen. It's really shown how what quality uh officials that we have out there doing these matches.
0: I would say four mistakes today. Sitting down with me is your, you don't know about that one yet. Uh no no, I, I agree with you on the officials at the highest levels. I'm glad you uh added that uh caveat. Um and that's all I'll say about that. Uh because I still have to use officials. Um yeah the uh, the officials uh, you know making the call so for those out there that don't know in, in the vast majority of college matches uh, you at least have one roving official and the players on the six courts for singles make their own calls and can appeal uh, to the on-court uh, referee uh, or official um, for an overrule and you know there's some other things various things that they can that the official can call out at random but bottom line is players call their own and so when you get in to the gentlemanly question uh, or the lady question was that out yeah obviously there's not a team of uh, officials on court that's when you need all right so you are going to get over to the u.s open tomorrow maybe
3: yeah i'm hoping to i mean i'm here as 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 with my you know full-time job so there's a whole bunch of meetings and other Uh, events that I have to be at. And that of course is first priority as much as I love the tennis, but yeah, hoping to be out there. And and honestly, I really like watching the juniors, Uh, even the junior qualifying out in the park for one, you don't need a ticket. It's free, which is really nice. Uh, But it's really, it's really great to see those kids out there battling for a spot in the main draw. And um, it's just, it's a really cool thing to see. So if the times that I've been out to the open, that's usually where I like to be is sitting under a tree or standing under a tree, um, watching a junior qualifying match. I think that's that's part of the, it's played out in the park, as you know. It's kind of the essence of public park out there. I mean, it's it's as public as you can get. Yeah, i
0: always talk about how one of the best things to do at any pro tournament across the country is go watch qualifying. Obviously, you're talking about the juniors, but it's fun to sort of see who's coming next. And five years from now, you're going to be, I saw that kid, you know, playing on court 19 in the middle of a park. Uh, and now here they are, a top 50 player in the world. It's, it's kind of like discovering Pearl Jam. You know, back in you know eighty four, before anybody knew who they were, so that that's always inter- inter- interesting uh interesting uh, way to to go about it. We we'll edit if need. i put you on the spot now, and if we if you want me to put it in, we can. If you, I mean, this is no gotcha journalism here, so no, no. But that's because you So now, for a guy who sees, knows, and does everything in this game, I mean, first of all, the biggest. The thing I take away from this interview is that people, he saw the architecture. The of Who's seen out there in the world? Who's the, who's the president of the USTA? Who cares? He obviously has seen the architectural drawing. All right, we'll reset that. No, 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 it's fine. I'll edit that out for sure. My point was I don't care about who the president is the USTA. All right, so the biggest thing we need to take away from this interview Aside from your expansive knowledge, everything you've seen and done, but the most important aspect anybody needs to understand is that people, Mr. Potke, the Darren Potke, has seen the architectural drawings of the roof coming on the second roof in the U.S. Open. Uh, that's who, Who's seen that? I mean, the Secret Service, maybe. The New York uh, City Police, who knows? I don't know. The president of the USTA? Probably, probably, but also Podkey has seen it. That's incredible to me. Now, with that breadth of uh, wisdom and knowledge and experience in this this game that allows you to see the architectural drawings of the second roof before anybody, or at least before me, my next question is going to put you on the spot. I need one thing, clear, concise, maybe, maybe a little crazy, maybe a little out there, maybe a little dangerous. Give me one thing, that you would do to change American tennis for the better aside, get me out of it?
3: Well, wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I was junior comp player development person for Southern Cal for a long time before I came to Georgia. And you know, players like Sam Query, Steve Johnson were players in our section, Watched them grow up. Um, but having been involved in all sorts of different levels of tennis, And we're strictly talking professional here. We're not talking about grassroots. Um, I would like to see the United States have more entry level pro circuit events. And we've already started. I want to tip my cap and congratulate uh, the USTA and particularly Stephen Armitrage and folks for the collegiate series futures events that have started. Um, You know, our players need a way of getting into either the ITF junior circuit easier or the professional circuit easier without uh, spending as much dollars and time away from home in terms of overseas. Um, And so I I would like to see that we're already, we're down that track. I think it's a good one. We're already starting to see some, you know, positives of that. Uh, But to me, the players develop and learn what it's really like to be a pro at the pro circuit level. We've got some great supervisors out there that Are out there doing their job enforcing the rules, but they're also educating the players. So hey, when you're here playing a twenty-five thousand dollar event, you know when you move up to the ATP level, we're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. And or you know, here's a few not tips, but you know, make sure you understand the entry processes, and you can't be in two cities in in the world in the same week, or you can't accept a wild card here. Um, You know, as many easier paths to at least get their foot in the game and their name on the computer to start that track uh, is a good thing. And, and we have, and we're starting to see some results, but we need more. We need more of those events. They're, and the problem is they're not cheap, as you know. I mean, I believe if memory serves me correct, you had run one of those low level, lower level events. Um, and so there's a lot of logistics and a lot of, of time and money, but I think it's money well spent.
0: The main purpose of this podcast is to basically tell everybody in tennis what they're doing wrong and that I hate them. One of the, one of the side of, uh, benefits of talking to Mr. Podkey is that uh, he beat some of that out of me a little bit as he talks. And I think that is definitely one thing that the USTA really can do very effectively, is provide the, that calendar, maybe even provide some support for the, the people running those uh, tournaments, and and then ultimately build that structure, and then all the free market people, coaches all across the country can help fill it in with players. Uh, so, hey, you made me like the USTA a little bit better today. I'm
3: glad to hear that. And from a selfish, I put my officiating hat on. Obviously, it's more opportunities for our Uh, the next generation of supervisors to work. There are chair umpires, you know, and and that's part of the reason why too, I think we want to do that, the selfish part, but there really is a player benefit to it. So, but again, it costs money, so it, it can't happen overnight, but I think we're on the right track. We need to keep that going.
0: Well, I, I tell everybody all the time, trying to give them lots of different ways to go enjoy this sport. Whether it's go watch their local Division One, or even Division Two II or Three, or JUCO. I mean, there's really good tennis out there everywhere. And if you're a three-five league player, guess what? They're better than probably what you've seen or experienced. So it's worthwhile. Uh, but also support it financially in every aspect that you can, uh, because you're right, exactly right, that the resources need to be there, um, and the grassroots is going to you know work from the other end to help. Help do that. But uh, well, listen, I'm gonna let you get out of here. I'm sure you got a lot of USTA tennis saving to do. Um, so uh, I was really appreciate you sitting down with us and always appreciative of the tidbits and the knowledge and the nuggets that you, that you, that you bring, give to me on or off the air. So good to see you. Thank you.
3: Well, thanks, coach. Make sure I spell your name right. I'll send that check to you. But uh, good luck. Good luck to you this season.
0: No impropriety here people. All right, thank you. Uh there you go. So, it's hard to tell whether he likes me or not, but you know, he he's very uh, affable, so he faked it like he did. Um so Darren, appreciate you uh taking some time and uh and I'm sure we'll see you again sometime. Maybe next year's US Open.
1: Yes, this will be a yearly visit for you.
0: Now, the next guy that um I didn't actually run into him. I texted him. <laughs> So as I characterized him, semi-famous, yes. uh, and he agreed with that, actually. The coach runs in celebrity circles. There we go. <laughs> Semi-celebrity circles. Um, but no, if you remember, I don't know how many podcasts ago, I mentioned when I, I was in Austin, I went to go see a stand-up comedian and gave him a tennis lesson. Right. Uh, he's a huge tennis fan. He's from New York, or he's not from New York, but he's been in New York for 10 years or more. Uh, and he performs in New York, but also around the world, actually. and um, And he's a huge tennis fan. Goes to the open, watches it, and so I thought, you know what? Let's get a perspective of somebody who's in the city, who's from the city, uh, living here in the middle of this mayhem, and uh, and and how you know the whole tournament fits into their life, and both being uh, a spectator. Live as well as on TV, and just kind of living in the same city. I'm, I'm a little jealous because I'm a Steelers fan. <laughs> I don't live in Pittsburgh. Right. I don't live near the stadium <laughs> where my team plays. I live actually near a stadium where a dumb team plays, <laughs> a team that I quite frankly um, I hate. Yes. Uh, and that'd be the Cowboys, a big rival team. Right. So it's almost you know the same kind of thing where if you live in the in the in the city where a major tournament is, even if it's not the U.S. Open, even Indian Wells or right. Miami or whatever, it's like. You drive by the stadium. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, with
1: New York being so hectic, does it even get any busier during that tournament? Or is it just always like that?
0: You know what? It's funny. Um, The city, first of all, that is the largest annual sporting event in terms of attendance. Right. Ever in the world. Isn't it almost like a
1: million people a year? Pretty close.
0: Or more. I don't know. It's mayhem. But the city does so much on so many fronts that this is just another thing. It absorbs. You can't tell. I mean, right. I always say that if you're two blocks over, and a crane falls off a building and crashes to the ground, <laughs> you you'll never know unless right. you happen to walk past that block yeah. or you see people running. Um, it, it, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, that city is amazing
1: um, because even like here, as you were saying, the Cowboys—they have a game. I mean, unless you're in that immediate area, you're not really noticing. But in that area, you're—it's totally crazy and right. traffic and everything.
0: In basketball, right. in downtown, hockey in downtown, you know, it, no, the city absorbs all of this. And and listen, the roads suck so bad, <laughs> right. and there's always like cones and tra- It's always just—you have no idea what the hell you're doing anyway when you're there. Right. And so it, none of it makes sense. So it looks no different around, in and around the stadium. Uh, that's not true. It does look different. Well, probably the
1: subways obviously busier. I'm sure and all that.
0: Only one car. Only one <laughs> one route. The seven train. Yeah. Really, the one that goes out to. Um, it goes right in between Old Shea, which is now City Field, uh, where the Mets play, and then literally the other side, same stop is. Uh, the tennis center but uh, yeah that's a good question because it's like uh, I'm I'm getting here I'm wide-eyed you know you know (laughs) fresh-faced country boy uh, in the city not really but (laughs) uh, you know but it's like wow everybody's got to be you know just a buzz about this tournament all over the city nobody gives a shit (laughs) only tennis people right Uh, we talked about it that a little bit with this next guy Um, and again you may have remembered him from an episode gone by where where, I gave him a tennis lesson um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, sat down with, uh, Joe list for a little while and, uh, had a chance to ask him about, uh, about tennis, about the city. Um, so take a listen. All right. So we've, uh, had a lot of big time tennis people who know a lot of stuff about this game, but that bores me. So I have somebody who knows literally nothing about tennis with, we- Would that be fair to say?
2: That is unfair to say. I know a lot about tennis. I know how to keep score. I know how to play a little bit, and uh, I'm a big fan.
0: Now, if you thought that little bit of uh, audio was funny, there's a reason for that, because I am with Semi-Famous.
2: Is that rude? Uh, I would say, yes, Semi-Quasi-Famous. I'm like second-round famous. Second-round famous. Uh, He is a stand-up comedian,
0: and... I'm not kissing up to him uh, because I already got him here, so he's stuck. Uh, One of my favorites, one of my favorites, uh, uh, stand-up comedian Joe List based out of New York here, and... Where he is is exactly why I have him here, because he is a Mr. All About New York, including all about the U.S. Open, and uh, and when I heard him say that on his podcast, I said, dude, I got to contact him. Uh, do you remember my first email, and was it slash a little creepy slash, oh, wait, this is a tennis guy, and I love tennis.
2: Um, I think I remember the first one. You asked me to send nude photos. Um kidding uh no yeah i remember you offered to give me tennis lessons i took them and it was great it was really fun you're the only person i've ever met up with on the road that i didn't know that's a big compliment and uh now i feel like i know a lot about tennis i feel like i'm a I'm, i'm hurt by the original tennis knows nothing about tennis i'm very hurt well,
0: I was just trying to set up a, a, a you know, a premise here uh, that you're ruining. Uh, no, no. So, yeah. So, he was performing in in my home state of Texas, and I saw that he was doing that. Now, really, I was just trying to score free tickets, which, incidentally, you did not provide.
2: I apologize, but I'm here now doing a podcast. This is even better.
0: That's an excellent point, because content is king. No, no, but uh, on a serious note, but not a serious note, because he's a stand-up comedian, so... Uh, he is a tennis fan, but doesn't have a lot of experience playing tennis. And as it, for everybody out there who's been listening to the podcast, that's something that always fascinates me because I've been doing both forever. Uh, but after being here in New York, seeing the buzz, being over the tennis center, seeing all the buzz and just the mayhem going on that's surrounding that whole scene, I can see why you dig it.
2: Uh, now, have you been to the U.S. Open this year? I have. I've been doing it a bunch. I mean, to me, it's weird. I mean, people are sports fans, but not tennis fans. To me, sports is one general thing. People physically competing under a rule book. Um, so to not like tennis is strange. I've always loved it. And uh, the U.S. Open, I go every year. I went last night. I went and saw Federer play a five-set classic. Maybe not a classic, but it was a great match. And I saw it from a suite on the baseline. I was right next to Chris Fowler. It was pretty unbelievable.
0: I told you he was semi-famous, didn't I? He gets a sweet. That's pretty big time. So I agree with you on sports. Uh, it's hard for me to tell outside of the ring of, you know, I'm in tennis first. So that's my first ring. And then every other sport comes out from there. Um, my favorite sport is actually tennis. A very close second is hockey. Uh, and so where are you where is tennis in your ranking? Give, give me your top
2: however many to
0: get down to tennis.
2: Uh, it's hard. I mean, I like the, I love, I probably like tennis more than I like basketball. That's for sure. I love whatever sport I'm watching. I love the most. Hockey's my favorite sport. Um, I like tennis more than I like golf. Baseball and football is tough while I'm watching a football game. I'm like, this is the best tennis I love. it. it it's hard. Uh, it's up there. It's in the top four, I guess it's above basketball along with the other three major team sports. So top four, I'll say.
0: I'll take it. Top, top four is good. I mean, we're talking about a sport that in the world is the second
2: most popular sport in the world, but in the U.S., it's about 119. I did not know it was the second most popular sport in the world, but that's why I guess Europe is dominating us and all the world, really, right now.
0: Yeah, we're struggling. We're struggling, which is, as the listeners of this podcast, which hopefully you will be now that you're on it, you self-centered son of a bitch, Uh you know, the the idea of this podcast is for American tennis primarily. We talk about everything, but you know, my passion is to really help shed some light on this game for people out there uh like you that maybe have some interest in it, don't know a lot about, but you know, this is the podcast will be a go to place. So now hockey, big fan of that. But I think one of the big draws for any of the sports like that, the team sports, the major sports, uh is the city. That you're from. You know, you're a dirtbag New Englander, so you like all those awful New England teams. Is
2: that the case? I would say extremely successful New England teams. Um, Patriots have won five Super Bowls in the last, whatever, 14 years. But yes, I love all of them. Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup 2011. You remember Celtics won in 08 and the Red Sox have won three times in the last 13 years. So it's a very successful area and uh, I love all of them deeply and I hate everybody that says anything negative about them.
0: This podcast is over. I'm going to kick this guy's ass real quick. I don't know. He's wiry. I might not be able to. The biggest thing about tennis that's tough, particularly for American fans, is we don't have a city to rally around like we do with our team sports, and furthermore, we don't really even have an American player on the men's side, and the women, I mean, let's face it, we have one player and her sister who's sort of a little bit behind her, and that's it. Does that matter to you? Do you get into American players, or are you just a fan of the beauty of the art of tennis?
2: It, it, it matters, I guess. I mean, it definitely makes a difference for most people. I mean, I love the sport anyways, so I enjoy watching it. But it would definitely be nice if we had an American. I tell you, though, that uh, fellow the other day, Francis uh, Tiafo, I mean, that guy seems like he might be the future of American tennis. But it's also weird with tennis. Sometimes you have a match where you're like... Like, remember... Um, what is her name? Melanie Udan Udan, do you remember her? She had that crazy Cinderella run. I was like, this woman's the future of tennis. And I'd never heard her name again since then. That was 09 or whatever. Uh, I know my tennis. Um, but yeah, hopefully, uh, Francis will be the future. And then this year, the tournament's wide open for these Americans, isn't there in query? Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely want there to be an American. And then when I was a kid, the Americans kind of dominated a little bit with Agassiz and Sampras. It would make a difference, I think for you know, pedestrian non fans, but I don't know. Um I forget what the question was. But yeah, I root for the Americans. I want an American to win. Yeah, I think also Serena dominated for so long that people just become blase about it. They just go, or whatever. And she's on steroids. Wow. She uh
0: God bless her, she literally just had a baby today. You animal. And as far as Udan goes, uh, you may have uh, not heard for, from her for a while, but oddly enough, she just retired within the last week. I got a text. Um, now, what if you what if you had some uh, you know Southie kid? I uh, can't do an accent. I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying. What if you had some Southie kid coming up? Would you be? Would you and your city be out of your mind? Because listen, I've had some success. You have five Super Bowl. You don't have quite six, like Pittsburgh does. And I don't remember when the last time Boston won a Stanley Cup because the Penguins won the last couple. Um, and so I've kind of been blinded. Um, the Pirate. oh, never mind. Um, and the Pittsburgh Pisces, that's our basketball team, if you remember that movie. It, it's a movie from the 70s. It's not real. Uh, So if some Southie kid, I don't even know what Southie means, I've just heard it on TV, but if some Boston kid, would your whole city get behind him and be a little more kind of fired up and hyped up about it?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, it would light the uh, imagination and excitement. I mean, we had Tiger Woods, which got everyone playing golf. It revolutionized golf. Everyone started playing. So you kind of need that for tennis. And we have four of the best players of all time. I mean... The number one and two players of all time, it seems like to me, playing, maybe Djokovic top three, I mean, as athletes keep progressing. So you have the best tennis players ever playing, um, but I don't know how much difference, I don't know what the numbers are, if it's going up or down or getting less excited, but certainly a Boston kid would be amazing, especially from Southie. I just imagine going, I'm playing a kid named Query, dude. Um, But yeah, I hope there's something, but I think we talked about it before. It feels like most of the athletes from America go play basketball. It's the same issue with soccer and tennis where uh, the best athletes are playing basketball and football.
0: No, that's for sure. Um Soccer is growing faster than we are. I think it's picking up more steam because it's easier to get into. It, you, you throw 22 kids out there with one ball, and they can run around like maniacs, and they're doing good. With tennis, as you have seen, you know we went out to the courts. I gave you some pointers. It's, it's not just a pickup, and I can do it well immediately, although my tutelage, I mean, come on, it, you did pretty great. How do you feel about your, uh, your game at this point?
2: I feel great. I show them the label, I roll the wrists, and I check the time. Uh, I know what I'm doing out there. But the other thing is, I know people have said it, and it's annoying, but the scoring is also, people just see it and go, ah, that's Greek to me, I can't figure that out.
0: That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. And I think, to your point about athletes in America going to play the major four sports because they're way more popular, is also something. I mean, I go out and recruit for college tennis, and it's hunting and pecking through, uh, you know, a small group. Whereas my baseball coach at our school, he goes out to a field and there's a sea of people playing baseball. He'll never get to all of them. And and so you see that difference. So for me, you know, that's why I sit down with you is really, aside from you're, you're semi famous, so I'm going to maybe get an autograph, which is like your first name and maybe last initial maybe. Uh, but but it, I like sitting down with you, and, and it got me excited that you were excited about tennis because. Anybody that shows some sort of level of, you know, um, excitement about this game, I want to push out there as much as possible also and give them as much as I can to keep fanning the flames.
2: Um, So hopefully I've I've done that. I got you here. Yes. Well, maybe I can be a a spokesman for tennis. I have a podcast. I can Tuesdays with stories. Uh, Maybe I can push it more and try to get people more into it. I was teaching a guy how to score yesterday or how the score works. But can't we just change it to... One, two, three, four, tie. He's almost going to win. I mean, couldn't we replace 15, 30 and 40 with one, two, three, four?
0: Yes, you have just li- I had a guy in here earlier who his, the breadth of his knowledge of tennis is astounding. You virtually know nothing. And yet and yet, I think you just changed the game for the better, for all time.
2: Well, I mean, they keep score like that with the tie break. Why can't we just do it for every set and game? Agreed.
0: I do think that would make some difference. Seriously, I think kid turns it over on TV uh, to tennis on you know kind of surfing, and they come across tennis, and they might like the action, but they have no idea what's going on. And I think that that's you know. Football is ubiquitous. It's a very complex sport, but it's ubiquitous in the United States. And I know you don't know what ubiquitous means. It means it's everywhere. Uh, and and so it's easy because you're around it from day one. You're out in the parking lot you know, or out in the sandlot playing, and so you know how to keep score. Tennis is not like that. When did you learn how to – and how did you learn how to keep score?
2: I kind of just learned by watching enough tennis. Like you, you watch enough for a while, a couple hours, and you're like, okay, I see where it's going now, and then uh, – I don't know. I guess you could Google but even trying to explain to somebody, y- it's still difficult because you're like, you play, but you just go, all right, it's four points and then you got to win by two. It's like essentially it, but that, even that doesn't make sense because then it's deuce and advantage and all that crap. It should just say play to four, win by two. And then it's instead of deuce and all that, it's six, six, it's seven, six, it's seven, seven, it's whatever. Yeah, I think win by
0: two is a universally accepted scoring system in every sport you ever played as a kid. Uh, that's a pretty normal, you know, situation. And so anytime I look at anything and I don't understand it, the first thing I say, well, this is stupid. Right. And then I don't do it.
2: Yeah, well, especially when love, people just, literally I've watched so many people dismiss it just by going, love 15 love, why do you get 15 points for one point? Ah, they go, "This is stupid.
0: Yeah, this is stupid It's probably a pretty good descriptor. So, all right, so let's talk about, get away from how awful this dumb sport is, and let's talk about, you. I've heard, now you're from Boston, you moved here to pursue comedy, yeah. that didn't work out for you, so now, no, no, of course, he's, again, he's toured all over the world, um, and I, like I said, he's my favorite, one of my favorite, I'm going to say favorite because he's right here, and... And so you are all about this city. I hear you on your podcast, Tuesdays with Stories, which, by the way, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you're not too offended. It doesn't mean you're going to be a big fan of the old Tuesdays of Stories because he goes quite, they go, him and his uh, co-host, uh, Mark Norman, go quite a bit further than I do. I think I say shit and asshole, and that's about it. Um, so if that's as much as you can take, please don't tune in. And if you do tune in, don't hate me for it. All right. So what was I saying? So, but I've heard you on your podcast talk about, Well, you tell stories, obviously, and you'll tell stories about being in the city and just, you know, these magic nights that come together because this city is just alive. And this city does a lot throughout the year. A lot of major things are here. How big is the U.S. Open in regards to this city? Um, You know, is it even a blip for people that don't know about it or does it take over the city?
2: Uh, It's weird. I guess it's all perspective. There's so many people. It's like America where people like, everyone hates, everyone loves, uh, you know, whatever celebrity. And you're like, half the people have never even heard of this person. So there's like 9 million people here. So it's a huge deal to a lot of people. Obviously, the tennis world is all here. Uh, And I know a lot of people that aren't real tennis fans, but they go out there. It's something to do. Um, So I guess in the grand scheme, most people don't even know it's happening, I guess, than most New Yorkers. But for me, it's exciting because it's like having the circus come to town. And I love tennis. And then if you've never been or you go, it's like a festival. It's huge. And it's getting better and better every year, especially the early rounds where, like, you can watch top players right in front of you. And there's, you know, 20 courts going. And then there's great food and drinks. And people just go to be social. And then there's celebrities. So it's like a quintessentially New York. It's the only major I've been to. I'm gonna to try to go to Paris next year. Um, but it's unbelievable to me. I think it's awesome and uh, I love it. I highly recommend, come, if you haven't been to New York and you're a tennis fan, come visit the city during tournament time, go out to a night sesh, go to a day sesh and then see the city the rest of the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you could be two streets over and a car could blow up and no one except people of that half of the block would know what happens. I think that's a good descriptor of a giant. I mean, when I say a giant event, I mean a giant event. It is the large, the, the most attended annual event. In the world. So World Cup beats it because it's once every four years. This is an annual event and it's the most attended. And I think part of it is because obviously it's a Grand Slam. So it's one of the four Super Bowls of our sport. But I think the other side of it is the environment that it creates being in this city. I mean, if this tournament was in Topeka, Kansas, with the same prize money, the same players, I don't think anybody would care. This city adds a ton to the whole scene what do you think
2: yeah for sure i mean that from the top of arthur ash you get a great view of the uh of the skyline and then the the seven train coming in and then while they're playing you can hear the seven train brakes squeaking and squealing and coming in there's the whole boardwalk walking up to it it's it feels like new york and then there's Rose involvement feels very new york and uh the, the crowd it gets a little round those early rounds especially when it's two in the morning and they're drunk and you have to like wait for the hecklers and stuff. It feels like New York. They'll turn on you. And uh, it's great. I love it. I think I called it a major, by the way. Sorry. That's a golf term, I guess. But uh, I apologize. I know nothing about the sport, according to you, you son of a bitch. It is a major. That, that's one of the words. It's one of the four majors. That's that's legit. Thank you.
0: So the whole vibe of New York for sure is is surrounding this event and I think they play off each other and I think the players get to be a little bit more out there than they would at maybe say the stodgy old grounds at Wimbledon Um, do you like watching the other majors as much like on tv because obviously you're not there so you can't compare going to New York to going to Paris but do you like watching those other events does it seem a little more demure compared to uh
2: the maniac action here I mean i don 't know what demure means, but um, i wa- i don 't watch Australia too much or Australia, however you say it, because of the time you know it 's hard to watch, but uh, I watch the French as much as I can Wimbledon I love watching I do love wa I, I mean Wimbledon seems like the most classic you know they 're in white it 's grass, it feels like Wimbledon um, but uh, yeah, but u uh, s open I watch the most because it's you know it's i'm of that uh time zone, obviously. So, um, I don't know. I love it. It's the coolest to watch. I, I like the hard court. I like the whole thing. I love it. I just, I, I love it. It's my favorite of them. Although, Clay seems fun. I'd like to go there. If you got bad knees or bad hips, Clay's
0: fantastic. But I my favorite Grand Slam is the one that's going on at that time. But when I get to New York, I remember, oh, yeah, this one's badass. This is the best one because I'm American. Yeah. And this is quintessential, you know, American New York, brash in your face and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I guess I'll admit that you do know something about tennis. You're getting better as a player. You just keep working with me. We'll see if we can keep that going. So is there anything that you don't know
2: about tennis that just like, what is that? Why are, why are they doing that? Oh, boy. Um Boy, that's tough to uh, think of off the... Top. Oh, here's what I don't know. This is what I don't understand. And I read uh, Agassi's book. I don't understand how exactly the rankings work. I've tried to... I know there's a point system. And then at, before every major, they're like, all right, if he wins this, he'll be number one. I don't understand what it means exactly or how the points gather up. You just gain points by winning your placement?
0: Yeah, it's a lot like Pokemon. No, I have no idea what Pokemon is. All right, so it's a, it's a 12-month rolling scale. So let's say we start at January. And every, let's say everyone plays the exact same tournaments just to make the math easy. Let's say you get 10 points for winning a tournament. You don't, but let's just say that for math. So you play a tournament, you win it, you get 10 points. Now you have 10 points. Now you keep those 10 points and you add points to it as you go throughout the season. Now when you get back around to that tournament January 1st, those points for that tournament are going to come off. So whatever you do at that tournament the next year, those points replace the points. So if you won it last year and you don't even play it, you are automatically down 10 points for that 12-month period. So it's a rolling 12-month point system. So when, the key words you'll hear is, you know, he or she has points to defend. Um, a, good, a, a good way to look at, like the women right now, there's, there's a number one is up for grabs. There's three women that can win it or that can take over number one after this tournament and it's because of how it's connected how many points they have and how many points they, they had last year at the U.S. Open and how that factors in how they do in relation to that because those points are getting replaced by this year's points. Did that make sense?
2: Not really. And then how often do they redo the rankings?
0: Well, they, they don't Every, every, it's a continuous clock, so we're going through the calendar. So you play January. Last year's January is gone. You just replaced it. So if you if you won, that's the only tournament you won. So you won January first. You got ten points. You're gonna have ten points. You didn't win anything else all year. You're still gonna have those ten points December thirty first. Now January first comes around the next year. If you don't play that tournament, that tournament falls off, and you have zero again. So now if you won January and February, you had 20 points. You had 10 for January, 10 for February, won nothing else. You get back around to January, those 10 points fall off. You don't play it. You get zero. Now you only have 10 because you got February's points from last year still. So it's just a, it's like a conveyor belt of months going around and around. And as you, as you move to the next month, that one's going to fall off. So and it just keeps going. So it gets, so they, they, you know, so yeah, there is that, your your face is not uh, encouraging.
2: It's still confusing. So how often is there a new number one? Once a year? You're not the, you're just number one all year. It happens, it changes.
0: Right. It does change. The stat sort of that matters. I think at least the stat I point to, to keep my claim together that Pete Sampras is the greatest player in the history of tennis is the year end number one. So you finish at the end of the year, number one, because all of the points have been played throughout the year. And so you kind of have done how you've done. Um, but yeah, it it changes or can change throughout the season depending on points. Um, but, uh, but so they, they, you know, so number ones change at any point in time that the points change. Um, but what you've seen in the men is those top four guys, Federer, Murray, Djokovic, um, and Nadal, is they were so far ahead at different times that they, people couldn't catch up. So even if they won you know, a lot of matches, they just couldn't catch up. So hopefully that shed, still doesn't look like I've shed any light.
2: A, a little bit. I mean, I kind of understand it. It's weird. but So this is the last, the U.S. Open's the last Grand Slam of the year. And then Australia kicks it off again.
0: Right, so this is the last Grand count for this calendar year. So when you hear that they won the Grand Slam, they won all four, technically it should be the same calendar year, although holding all four in a row. So if you didn't win Australia in 2017, but you just won um, French, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, and then next year's Australian, you're holding all four titles. You have all four cups just not in the same calendar year. Um, there are a couple events here and there. There's a year-end championship that the best kind of an invite to the best players on the men's and women's side, and that's for points. And then you know, there's various other random tournaments here and there. But it pretty much goes dark until um, the sunshine down under. So
2: Now, what about this uh, this Rod Laver Cup? Do you think that's going to be something, this Europe versus the world? Could that be a thing, a big event?
0: Now, I don't think he's, he's been listening to my podcast here, people. But we did talk about that last week, so I'm actually even more impressed and feel like more of an asshole that I think he didn't know anything, but that's pretty impressive. It's just some new competition money grab that they're trying to, I I literally have no idea. They don't even have a site for it yet, I don't think, so.
2: I think, well, they announced it's going to be Budapest. Isn't that
0: what they said? Are you shitting me?
2: I swear to God, Budapest is September 20th through the 22nd.
0: Is that a city or a country? I'm not sure.
2: Budapest is a country, a city in Hungary. Wow. I went there last This guy. Oh, I
0: see. So he performed there. Uh, Yeah, so it's just a new, uh, just a competition. It's going to be a little bit different of a format. Um, It's basically like Ryder Cup in golf, if you're familiar, where it's uh, Europe against America. Um, This one is going to be Europe against the world, which you just mentioned earlier. Another tidbit of your knowledge in tennis um, that... Europe is kicking our ass. This is going to give them another chance to kick our ass. Uh, So it's a competition of Europe versus the world. So that means they have Federer, who's from Europe. Nadal, who's from Europe. Djokovic, if he wanted to play, he's from Europe. So uh, Andy Murray, Europe. If they were all healthy, the top four players in the world would be playing against our awful players and one guy from Canada.
2: Yeah, well, maybe uh, Del Portro, is he in there? Or Nishikori, those guys are good. They are both from the world,
0: and so uh, I think they're in the mix. I don't know if they're done picking the teams, but it's not, I'm not going to watch much of them. I probably will because I have a podcast, but I, I just don't want to see our guys get their ass kicked any more than they have been.
2: Right. I lo- I love uh, Nishik- I got to see uh, Nishikori play uh, Warinka in the quarters a couple years ago. It was a great match. I don't know if you remember it. Oh, I'm sure I do. It was fantastic. Well, listen, you've got
0: to get down the road because you have to go perform, which is very exciting. Once again... No free tickets in his hand. So uh, he is really uh, taking advantage of this relationship. Just free tennis, free tennis. Uh, But no, no, no. Believe me, I'm honored that you're here. Uh, I appreciate your love for tennis. And uh, hopefully I can help keep stoking that fire. And uh, I appreciate you taking some time to spread your semi-famous knowledge about tennis um, to our fans. Thank you. Now, listen. We run a pretty loose ship here on this podcast, <laughs> but it is nothing like the Joe List uh, podcast. So yes. don't hold that against us. Uh, I do listen to his podcast, Tuesdays with Stories. Uh, I, I'd suggest you take a listen. If this podcast, if the Tennis Revolution podcast is barely enough for you to handle, I would suggest not t- tuning <laughs> in to right. uh, Tuesdays with Stories. Um, but uh, But listen, he's a stand-up comedian. He lives in a different world um but uh, but anyway, so, yeah, so I appreciate him taking the time um he was actually on the on his way to perform in Manhattan, got off on a different stop, popped into the hotel, we sat down in a back room in a lobby where you'd get some quiet sort of and uh and uh he was nice enough to spend uh close to an hour with me i don't know how much my our uh, producer uh cut it up and got rid of stuff, but
1: I think he left about two minutes in there it
0: is um. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's two minutes without us. So right, that's tough for the listeners to handle. So, but yeah, so that was just some insight from uh, from a local, as it were, and uh, it just gives a diff- different different uh, look at the uh, U.S. Open and what it you know what it all means to well, somebody. I, I
1: wonder if you if you've been there for twenty five years, if you just sort of like oh it's the U.S. Open again, you don't really pay attention. Uh, you know, I don't think it ever gets that mundane, I would assume, especially if you're a tennis fan.
0: Well, if you're a tennis person, um, fan, player, coach, or whatever. Um, it doesn't get old because it's a it's a giant event and it means a lot points wise and money wise and all that kind of stuff and yeah, history is, wise. It different players every year too. But if you're a New Yorker first, and then maybe somebody who you know, it's it is part of just another thing to do in New York for a lot of people. You know, for anybody, right. for a lot of people that actually attend. I mean, obviously, there's 11 million people in and around New York, right? And or more who uh, I, hell I don't know. And so. Obviously, a tiny percentage of those goes to the yeah. u s. Open, but with that being said, because you know we're talking about the attendance, a vast number of those are from everywhere. yeah you know what I mean? so um, so for but, but for a lot of people, it's probably just another thing to do. It's like going down to you know Rockefeller Center and ice skating during right. winter or whatever else all that the city has to offer. Uh, it's just kind of another activity.
1: Yeah, I would like to see the breakdown of the the fans at the Open, how many are from New York, and how many are just like not even really tennis fans. It's like you said, it's, oh, let's go to the U.S. Open today and see what's going on and watch a couple hours of tennis and then leave. Right. Like, they really don't have a vested interest in anybody. They just want to, like you said, something to do.
0: Well, we should probably make this podcast about four hours. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. We're not. We're not. But this is it, man. What do we got? We yeah. got the Rod Laver Cup. Yeah, which is, and they're got, trying to promote that so badly. I know. I know. <laughs> And then we've got obviously the year in championships, which who's um, going to play in the men's? There's who nobody left. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, almost tennis is over till January. But don't <laughs> don't forget about us, no, because we're here every week. That's right. It's what it's about. Now we've been distracted talking about oh this tournament and what this player is doing. Now it's time. In the off season to fix tennis. That's right. To fix American tennis and tennis in general and tell all these people that are in power that are doing stupid stuff <laughs> on how to, how to fix it.
1: Yeah. We can get in the meat and potatoes of tennis now, the serious issues that need to be fixed.
0: Yeah, and then we won't sound so dumb when it comes out on Tuesday and the tournament's already two days gone <laughs> and, and right. we look like idiots. Well, and I don't think some of these
1: big players are going to play the rest of the year, even some of the ones that haven't said that yet. I think they're like Federer. I would be surprised he plays again this year. Maybe he plays the year-end, but even maybe. that, I wouldn't think he would play. Yeah, maybe He's not. all about the Grand
0: Slams now. I don't, if it's in Dubai, he'll play. He always is in Dubai. <laughs> I don't know where it's at. Right. But uh, he always plays in I Dubai. I don't even know. Makes me ill. Um, yeah, so uh, that's it for the – basically, that's it for the tennis season. Yes. Which, again, if they did it right, like we'd want them, it'd be a more segmented, pronounced season. and maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have all these damn injuries, but – Well, yeah, the year-end should be next week, and then it should be over for three months. Yeah. But – Instead so we gotta wait
1: two months for the year end. And or then
0: push the USO He can't push it back,
1: but right. pretty soon it's gonna be
0: too cold in New York. So anyway. All right, well. All right, sir. I mean, Rebecca missed out on this one. She did. Welcome back. By the way, we didn't go into enough <laughs> on the fact that you picked Kevin Anderson. Thank you. We both picked Fetter. I was gonna brag
1: for the whole hour right, listen, if he had won the tournament, but he didn't, so but I didn't want to brag. She
0: equaled your pick. I know. I think she picked Keys. She did. Who did I pick?
1: I think you picked Federer too. I think y'all both picked Federer. And then I picked. Hallett. Well, you had a conditional Hallett <laughs> pick.
0: <laughs> and uh, who did I pick? If I uh,
1: well, yeah, I think you might have said Venus. Maybe Venus. If Hallett, I don't we don't know. have her here. She normally charts all our picks. I know. Well, well when they're
0: wrong, right? When they're exactly.
1: Wrong. She doesn't probably didn't write down Anderson. once No, they made it that far,
0: right? But that was. Let me tell you something. That was an intuitive, insightful, impressive pick. That describes me to a T. Well, what I was going to say is, I don't know how the hell it came out of your <laughs> f- dumb face.
1: Well, I will say I did look up after a few rounds, his odds when this tournament started. He was one hundred twenty-five to one. Of course, I didn't bet any money, stupidly, which I wouldn't have won. But it would have been nice to have a. Well, little, can't
0: you bet him to the final? Like in there? Yeah, in but I'm sure other- the odds
1: got better each round. Yeah, um, you
0: picked him before. You should have laid some money down, man.
1: Yeah, twenty bucks. That would have been that would have been a lot. There uh, we go. But uh, yeah, he didn't do it. He couldn't pull it out. I. In truthfulness, I wasn't expecting him to have to play Federer at all for him to win. He would have, against any, either of those, besides those two, he would have had a chance, but yeah. those two guys, I don't see any way he beats them in a three out of five Grand Slam format.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, people out there, uh, the NFL has started. Yes. The Steelers are 1-0, <laughs> but don't let that excitement deter you from tuning back in next week for the Tennis Revolution, because we are still here. We're still keeping up with what's going on, still trying to make this... Game in our country in particular better. So, uh, Corey, you got anything else? That's it. Rebecca, thank God. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, everybody out there, oh, got good news. Yes, good news. I don't know what this means, but I think I'm going to say it right. We are now also on Stitcher. So we're on iTunes <laughs> and we're on Stitcher. All the Stitcher people have been waiting, clamoring for us. I don't even know what that means. I I think what what it means is that if you have an Android, (laughs) you can more easily download and like subscribe and do whatever all that stuff means. Is that what they use in China? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Again, I don't think they have the internet in China. So if you're listening to this podcast in China, thank you for taking the risk. But listen, just don't. All right? Just come on. I can do without one or two listeners, you know. (laughs) Because <laughs> I don't want you to disappear, right? A, a, what's a gulag? Do they have gulags in China?
1: Probably not. Well, well if they do, they're not called gulags, uh, exactly.
0: All right, Corey. Anything? So yeah. So Stitcher. So if you have yes. friends and they have a and they don't <laughs> have an iPhone, <laughs> why are you friends with these morons? After that, <laughs> we just can, lost any potential new listeners maybe, we could kind have of had. If you can get, well, they couldn't because right. they didn't have iTunes. True. So, so hopefully they won't listen to this one. They'll listen to it next week. So if you if you do have an Android for some reason uh, I guess Stitcher means you can listen uh, now so if you have a friend with Android and you haven't befriended them because of that uh, tell them about us tell them to download Stitcher and, uh, and subscribe and uh, check us out and uh, tell all your friends do all that stuff of course definitely go to our webpage uh, tennisrevolutionpodcast.com you can uh, contact us give us ideas tell us how much we suck uh, or in my case how awesome um, we are and uh, congratulations Corey every now and again on all his, uh, uh, one pick out of 50 once a year every Pretty once in a while good. we're not going to mention
1: my women's pick but I there did pick we, Anderson there
0: we go <laughs> so to win the women's are we doing that now after the yes all right so thanks everybody out there uh, for joining the revolution and uh, we'll see you next time bye guys Maria call me